Years ago, when I was in youth ministry, um, we would often start our youth group meetings with some kind of game or activity. And earlier this week, I remembered one of those games. Uh, the kids would come together, and I'd give them some kind of controversial question, uh, like, what's the best kind of peanut butter, crunchy or creamy? And, and then I'd say, if you say crunchy, go over and stand against this wall over here. If you prefer creamy, stand on the opposite wall. And then it was kind of interesting. When, when they'd split up, you could instantly see which opinion was the most popular. You could also see who disagreed with who. And by the way, the correct answer is creamy peanut butter, in case you're wondering. Uh, but this week, that old icebreaker gave me an idea. Uh, it made me think we could do something like that here on a Sunday morning. Uh, except this time, uh, we would come up with different issues, maybe uh, more relevant issues than peanut butter. But we, could, we could vote on some of today's hot topics, like masks, vaccines, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Black Lives Matter, immigration, climate change. Can you imagine if we did that icebreaker today using those topics? Would that be kind of a fun way to get to know each other? Or would it just cause trouble? Well, I'll tell you what, we're not going to find out. <laughs> These issues are, are just very divisive. And you know, this is where we are in our society today. In my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen our country so divided and unfortunately, that division has been all too common among people who call themselves Christians. Many churches have struggled to maintain unity, just like our country has struggled to maintain unity. So what does the Bible say about this struggle? Well, I got a verse to read here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. But that's a huge challenge, right? Let's go back to that icebreaker. If you are a Christian and you're a member of Plum Creek, what would happen if you look across the room and you saw other members of this church voting for something that's the opposite of what you believe, well, you might look over and think, are you serious? How could these people take such an idiotic position? And maybe you think, it's not only an idiotic position, it's dangerous. And then when you find out where they stand, it might be hard to look at them the same way after that. But the Bible is clear. Let there be no divisions in the church. Be of one mind, united in thought, and united in our spirit. So this is what we're going to wrestle with today. We're in the third week of this series called Asking for a Friend. And every week we're tackling a difficult question. And just a reminder, in the second half of this series... Uh, we are answering questions that you send us. 
There's an insert in your bulletin today, and I hope you'll write down a question and drop it in one of the black boxes on your way out after the service. If you're watching online, you can go to plumcreek.org questions and submit yours there. But today, this is what we're asking. How do we deal with all the disagreements and division around us right now? Now, of course, this is a nationwide problem. Um, but today, we're going to narrow our focus, and we're going to look at division and disagreements within the church. And our goal is to build unity among followers of Jesus. And it would be very exciting if we could make at least some progress toward that goal. But before I continue, I want to be clear. Uh, today's question is controversial, and you may have a problem with something I say. You may also have a problem with something I don't say. But here's the deal. My opinion is not what's important, and yours is not either. What's important is that we listen to what God has to say. And that's why we're going to look to Scripture just like we do every week, because God's Word is the authority. He has the final say, not you and not me. So let's go back to that verse I read a, a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Uh, this verse comes from a passage of Scripture that can really help us answer today's question. And there's actually a fascinating story in this passage. It's the story of a church that's a lot like many churches today. 1 Corinthians is a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was addressed to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. Now, Corinth was a big up-and-coming city in the Roman Empire. It was an economic powerhouse. Uh, it was a center of intellectual thought. It was known for youth and diversity and also sexual immorality. Corinth also happened to be a stop on one of Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul planted a church there, and he stayed about a year and a half, uh, preaching and teaching and helping the church grow. And Paul loved these people. He loved this church. Eventually, he moved on, and he planted different churches in other parts of the Roman Empire, but he never forgot the Corinthian church. Every now and then, uh, Paul would get an update from someone telling him how things were going back in Corinth. And one of those updates made Paul very concerned. So he wrote this letter that we now call 1 Corinthians. And now that we have a little background, let's reread 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So Paul pleads with these Christians. He begs with them to be united as a church. And why do you suppose he does that? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, Paul makes this appeal because the Corinthian church is full of division and disagreement. He, he describes the situation in the next verse. He says, For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. 
Now we need to unpack this a little bit. Paul identifies four factions within the church. Uh, The Corinthian church is split up into four different groups, and each group is aligned with a particular leader or personality. In the first group, you might hear someone say, you know what, I'm a Paul guy. I love reading his letters. I love the way he gets into deep theology. But over in group two, you might hear someone say, I don't know, uh, Paul just doesn't impress me that much. I know he's got this great reputation, but I don't like his preaching. I think he's kind of boring. And that that may seem strange to say, but the truth is, Paul himself talked about his weakness as a preacher and a public speaker. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, I know. I know what people say about me. Some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. So if you don't like Paul's preaching, what's the alternative? Well, you could join group two. That group says, you know who I like to listen to? Apollos. Man, that guy can preach. And it's true. Over in the book of Acts, we learn that Apollos taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit. He spoke boldly in the synagogue. People were drawn to Apollos. He was like a celebrity, at least in Corinth. So that's group two, uh, but you could also move over to group three. I follow Peter. Now, it's possible that Peter never visited Corinth in person, and if that's the case, it would be like people today who follow some preacher that they've never met. They're like, yeah, I I don't know this guy personally, but I listen to his podcast, I watch his sermons online, and no, he's never been to my local church, but I still consider him my pastor. So that's group three. And then finally, there's the group that says, I follow Christ. And at first glance, you might think, this is the group that has it right. However, I read several commentaries this week that paint a different picture. It's likely that when somebody said, I belong to Christ, they were actually saying, listen, I'm not like you guys. I am a true Christian. All I need is me and Jesus I can do just fine without this church. That's interesting, isn't it? There may have been a lot of self-righteousness in that last group. But this is the situation that Paul describes. One church divided into four factions. And from where we sit today, we might look at them and say, why why couldn't all these Christians just agree to get along? Uh, Because they had minor differences. Sure, they they like different personalities, but why is that a big deal? It's not significant. But these factions could have said, hey, uh, these are not minor differences. This is not just about choosing our favorite leader. Uh, This is about theology. Uh, This is a big deal. For example, look at that that pro-Paul crowd. God had appointed Paul to be the missionary to the Gentiles. He took the gospel of Jesus outside the Jewish world out to the Greeks and the Romans. And he wanted to make it as easy as possible for the Gentiles to follow Christ. So he emphasized the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul said, we we can't expect Gentiles to follow all the Jewish traditions and ceremonies. 
And the pro-Paul crowd said, yeah, that's right. We want to help people experience the freedom that we have in Christ. On the other side, the pro-Peter crowd might have liked the fact that Peter was more focused on the Jewish Christians. These Jewish Christians, they, they didn't want to lose their heritage. After all, if you start throwing out the Old Testament laws and regulations, where does it end? You're going to throw out the Ten Commandments too? So Team Paul and Team Peter had serious concerns. But what about those fans of Apollos? Well, they could have said, hey, we want the church to grow, right? We want to reach lost people, right? So you know what we need? We need a strong, charismatic leader who can stand up and preach a powerful sermon and get people to surrender their lives to Christ. They wanted to see the church grow dramatically. Finally, there's that group that said they only belong to Christ. And I can imagine them saying, hey, since we're the ones who have it right, you know, it may be time for us to leave these jokers and go start our own church. Now, it's true, there are times when it's necessary to walk away. But all too often, Christians divide over matters of opinion. And we've definitely seen that over the past year and a half. And like I said, uh, the Corinthian church is a lot like churches today. Uh, the truth is, every church is made up of people who have different backgrounds, different perspectives, and different opinions. Uh, Plum Creek is no exception. And those differences can cause tension and friction. Now, if it's a small issue, we might be willing to let it go. But we all have areas where we would say, no, I'm going to stand my ground on this one. I'm not changing my mind here. So how can a church stay united when we have different opinions and strong opinions? And how do we decide, how do we decide which are the major differences where we have to stand our ground and which are the minor differences that are really just matters of opinion? Well, Paul helps us understand what unity is and what unity is not. Remember what we read earlier. Paul said, guys, you have got to be in harmony with each other. No divisions. Be united in thought and mind and purpose. Well, what exactly does that mean? Is, is Paul saying that when Christians come together that we will magically agree on everything? No, of course not. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, In God's church, there is no Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the church should be like a mosaic, multicultural, multi-ethnic, different genders and different social classes coming together in one united body. And naturally, there will be some differences in that kind of church. See, for Paul, unity is not uniformity. It's not a bad thing when we come together with different perspectives. Uh, you and I know, right now in this room, you don't agree with everything that I think, you can't have two people come together and agree on everything. It's just not going to happen. So what do we do? Well, I heard a, a great quote from a pastor named Kerry Newhoff. He said, as Christians, we don't need to disagree less. We just need to disagree better. 
And that is so true. Conflicts in the church can get very ugly, very fast, but they don't have to. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to be divisive. Later on, we'll talk about a few practical ways for us to navigate our differences. But first, let's look at what unity is. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, excla- Paul explains that the church finds unity in the gospel of Jesus. Now, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's about who he is and what he's done. And yes, it is okay for Christians to have many different opinions, but we need to agree that the gospel of Jesus transcends all of our secondary differences. Outside of Jesus, we may have very little in common, but we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 1.13, and he says, Has Christ been divided into different factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. And just a side note, I love this. Um, Paul usually dictated his letters to a scribe, and right here, he's kind of thinking out loud. He's like, I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Oh, yeah, Stephanus, too, and his family. And was there anybody else? I don't remember. And meanwhile, the scribe's over here writing all of that down, and then it becomes part of the inspired word of God. I just think that's funny. But Paul keeps going. In verse 17, he says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Then he says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. Now here, Paul is not saying that baptism is not important. In plenty of Paul's letters, he makes it clear that baptism is hugely important. But Paul is glad that he didn't baptize these people because he doesn't want the focus to be on him. The focus has to be on Jesus himself, on the gospel, on the cross. Because we can unite around the work of Jesus on the cross. We can unite around the grace that we've received from him. You may or may not know that uh, Plum Creek Christian Church is a part of something called the Restoration Movement. It's not a denomination. It's just a group of Christians who want to follow the New Testament pattern as closely as possible. And there's a saying that you'll often hear in the Restoration Movement. I've shared it before. It goes like this. In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. And that goes right along with what Paul is saying here. When it comes to the gospel and the foundational truths of Scripture, we have to be united. And when it comes to mere matters of opinion, it's okay to disagree. But no matter what, we need to show love to each other. That takes us back to a question I asked earlier. How do we decide what is an essential and what's just a matter of opinion? 
Well, there's another restoration movement saying that applies here. We often say, where the scriptures speak, we speak. Where the scriptures are silent, we are silent. And with that in mind, I want to give you just a, a short list of essential truths that we cannot compromise on. Here's the list. First, the Bible is the written word of God. It's without error. It's where we find truth. Second, God created everybody and everything. Every human being has been made in God's image, and every human life is precious and sacred. Next, every one of us has sinned against God, and because of our sin, we broke our relationship with him. And then when it comes to Jesus himself, uh, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, and he lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was buried in a tomb, he rose on the third day, he ascended into heaven, and one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus is the only way for any of us to be saved from an eternal death in hell. And we are saved by grace through faith. And when you give your life to Jesus, you will admit that you are a sinner, you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus, You will turn away from your old sinful life. You will be baptized into Christ and you will live a new life as a new creation. And for the rest of our time on earth, God has given us work to do. First, we need to grow to become more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also need to stay connected to the church, the body of Christ. And every member of the church has a unique role to play And it is critical that all of us fill our roles because God has given us an urgent mission. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, making disciples who make disciples. And we will pursue this mission for the rest of our days on earth until we die and experience our own resurrection. And at that point, we will spend all of eternity in heaven with God in his presence and his glory. So that's a short list of essentials. We can't compromise on those things. If you want to be a part of this church, you have to agree that you are aligned with those beliefs. But did you notice what's not on that list of essentials? Political parties do not show up on that list. Masks and vaccines do not show up on that list. Many, many things are not on that list. And you may have strong beliefs and opinions that don't fall under that category of essentials. I do too. And I can even point to certain places in the Bible to back up my beliefs on on, on my opinions and on my secondary issues. There's no need to let go of your convictions, but we can't let the non-essentials divide us. Now, I said we would talk about some practical ways to navigate our differences, and that's how we'll close today. I'll give you four ways for us to work through conflict in the church. And here's number one. When necessary, be willing to have difficult conversations. 
Now, that doesn't mean you have to dig up some disagreement when it's not necessary. Uh, that's why we did not do that icebreaker earlier. But sometimes a disagreement becomes a barrier in your relationship with someone else. And when that happens, it's time for a conversation that may get uncomfortable. And by the way, in the vast majority of situations, social media is not the place to have that conversation. Many people believe that uh, social media has played a huge role in the divisions that we see today, and I would agree with that. Now, the other day, though, I, I heard some great advice on how to approach our online relationships. That the basic advice is this. When you see a post that you disagree with and, and, and you start to get an emotional reaction, just don't respond. Pray about it. Sleep on it. Don't respond. And then after 24 hours, your emotions have time to settle down. You can think more clearly. And maybe you still need to say something. Maybe you don't. Now, that piece of advice is extra. That one's for free. But if we don't have these difficult conversations online, where should they happen? Well, in Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking. And he says, when someone in the church needs to be confronted, you go to that person directly. You speak to them directly. Don't talk about them behind their back. Don't take shots at a distance and refuse to meet, to them, meet with them face to face. Have the difficult conversation. Here's the second thing we can do to navigate conflict. We can be willing to learn from each other. Now, most of us would say that we're willing to do that. But one more time, go back to that icebreaker. Imagine that you're standing against one wall and you look across the room to the person on the opposite wall and you're thinking, how could that person believe something so idiotic? Here's where it gets real. Are you willing to admit that you might have something to learn from that person? James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. When we're willing to listen, we can all learn something from anyone, even someone you strongly disagree with. Now, I'll give you the last two strategies very quickly. Number three, be willing to love the other person, no matter what. We see that in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And finally, here's strategy number four. Be willing to unite around our mutual love for Christ. That's the message of Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we have Jesus in common, that bond is stronger than anything else that has the potential to divide us. So there it is, uh, four practical ways to navigate our differences. And listen, I realize that for some people, a lot of what I'm talking about sounds very unrealistic. And for that reason, I thought it might help to give you a real-life example of these principles in action. A couple months ago, I learned about an encounter between two members of Plum Creek, and I was really encouraged by what happened between them. 
And I'll tell you the story, but I'm changing the names to protect the innocent. The story involves two friends. We'll call them Bob and Larry. You can imagine Bob standing right here and Larry over here. And about a year ago, when we were getting close to the presidential election, Bob and Larry both saw a post on Facebook. It was a political post supporting a particular candidate. And this post happened to be from someone who is also a member of Plum Creek. We'll call him Henry. Now, Larry over here, he actually agreed with the content of Henry's post. He supported the same candidate, but he disagreed with the manner in which it was posted. Now, on the other side, Bob disagreed with the manner and the content of the post because he was not a fan of that candidate. Not long after this, Bob and Larry were at a dinner together, and someone mentioned this Facebook post. Uh, they both agreed that Henry should have handled things differently, but then as they were talking, Bob and Larry discovered that they were not on the same page politically. And you know, in a lot of cases, the friendship could have gone downhill from there, but this time that's not what happened. Bob and Larry both sent me a description of this encounter, and I want to read some of their words. Larry said, Our disagreement sparked a healthy conversation, a cordial conversation that I believe opened eyes on both sides about our shared love of Christ. So in the love of brotherhood, through our Lord, we were able to talk about our beliefs and ideas without it becoming an argument, even though we didn't line up perfectly. Now on the other side, here's Bob's point of view. He said, when that post came up during dinner, I was a little nervous because I know my politics don't always align with those of people I care about. But I quickly realized that when we discussed what can easily become incendiary topics, the heat just wasn't there. And I know that Larry is a good man. He loves people and he strives to live like Jesus. So I listened and he listened. And in our mutual love for Christ and for one another, we actually grew closer and stronger through the conversation. Isn't that amazing? In a scenario where these two could have easily drifted apart, they actually grew closer together because of their shared love and connection with Christ. Now, among Christians, things don't always turn out this way. But the church needs to get this right because the world is watching. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? As a church, we have the opportunity to be the evidence that Jesus is for real. We also have the opportunity to be an obstacle. So let's be the kind of church that represents Jesus well. Our love and our unity can help lead people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know how easily we can just be divided from each other through arguments and, and different opinions that become fractures. And, and Lord, that is, that's a tragic thing within the church. 
Lord, help us to sort out the essentials and the opinions. Help us to find unity around you, around the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we will be a church that demonstrates your love inside and outside the church so that we can help people know more of who you are so we can help other people find love in Jesus and hope and eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.